Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Missing Mora Murray podcast. I'm Tim here with Lance for this intro. Lance, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm great. We have on for this episode one of our favorite people, I'd say, in, in the world, and one of the artists out there that we respect the most. How crazy is this? One of the hardest working reporters out there. Yeah, one of the hardest working artists. Uh, and he was one he was one of our favorites and then became probably in the in definitely in the top three favorites after he considered us adorable, which was one of the highlights of my life. So for this episode, we have none other than John Ronson. The name might not sound immediately familiar, but if you go uh, look into John Ronson, he is the best selling author of books like The Psychopath Test. The Men Who Stare at Goats, Lost at Sea, which is which is phenomenal, um, a collection of his essays and his articles. Uh, recently, The Elephant in the Room, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is really relevant to our world, to what we do. And that's a terrifying book. Uh, he talks about that a little bit uh, during this interview. We could go on with, with what he's read and what he's contributed to, um, to, to his industry. We first started emailing with John Ronson back in the winter after we had heard from James Renner that he spoke with him. And, and James Renner informed us that he really liked our podcast, this podcast. There was a little bit of mystery sort of uh, shrouding why and what, what, what is John Ronson interested in this case for? So we reached out to him and asked him to be on. He said, not really yet, uh, not really doing interviews right now, but uh, you know, at some point it sounded likely. And then we met him at CrimeCon. And we had a blast with him uh, there. He, he came to our live podcast. Uh, we went to his presentation. Um, we just really hit it off, and we did an interview with him for uh, a project he might be working on. So our paths are kind of crossing in, in a pretty cool way here. We do talk about Maura Murray a little bit in this episode. The whole conversation is like an hour and 20 minutes. The whole conversation is incredibly interesting, I think. But only the first half is what you're going to hear today. And there's really probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes of more Murray chat. And then we move on to other stuff like psychopaths, other really interesting topics, his work, 
a little bit of Trump, things like that. And it's interesting that, that you're saying that our paths are crossing. And it's not just our paths and John Ronson. We recorded this at Audio Boom's brand new uh, studio. They have a brand new studio in downtown Manhattan, and they have uh, uh, they have a, a spot where you can go in and you can record your your podcast. And they were gracious enough to allow us to uh, record this conversation with John Ronson. He was gracious enough to take time out of his busy schedule because he's got a ridiculous schedule, right? He was looking at his phone because he was trying to organize between us between a conference call at one p.m. and meeting somebody at three thirty where he had to walk to. And he came out to do that, and Audio Boom let us come into their their studio, which is it, it's it, I mean I it's so cool to sit there, right? It's so cool to sit there behind those microphones and and have the headphones on and, and be in a studio. I mean, what we have here is it's fine. We have a million dollar it, studio here, but it, I mean, it's not a two million dollar studio. Is what right, I'm saying, right? Um, <laughs> and it was really cool that Talia from Audio Boom was a big John Ronson fan, and she was the sound engineer for us um, during this this recording uh, last week. And she was really, uh, really fun and a little bit starstruck by uh, by John. So that was kind of cool. It was cool. They're both British, so they were able to relate in a British way. I'm pretty sure they, I'm pretty sure they had a couple of a uh, couple of slags against us that we didn't realize were were slags because we. I wouldn't put it past. Them. I wouldn't put it past them, but uh, no, just kidding. John also has a new podcast that is coming soon. It's called The Butterfly Effect. You can check it out on Audible on July 27th or also on iTunes. The links are in the show notes. Now, we didn't know this before, you know, so this wasn't like uh, like like John reached out to us, oh, I'm promoting something now. This was we wanted to have a, a conversation with one of our favorite writers and artists. Um, there's a short excerpt out there, but uh, I am 100% positive this show is going to be amazing. I can't wait for this podcast, and I'm sure you're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the coming months. Yeah, and it's it's like an audio version of what he does with everything that he writes. Everything that he writes is him getting immersed in the world of what he's uh, what he's interested in at the time, and it's nothing that you would think you'd ever be interested in. He doesn't really tackle the big issues that are out there, like the the ripped from the headline issues. He goes to like page seven of the newspaper and says, "This is really curious." You, you can see that a lot in uh, Lost at Sea, where he you know wants to do something like live like James Bond for a weekend or. Um, he wants to explore a town that is, is uh, 100% Christmas the entire time. It's these stories that no one else has heard that are super interesting, way more interesting than the, than the things that like grab the, the front page of the major papers out there. And he'll just immerse himself. So we're going to air part two of this interview on our Crawl Space show channel um, first. We're going to air that this week. Uh, if you're listening to this in July of 2017, it's going to air uh, this week, probably on Friday, on Crawl Space. Um, and then part two of this conversation will air on Missing Maura Murray, this channel, next week as a bonus episode. Uh, it, it will not take the place of another episode, and and that's because th there isn't really any Maura Murray chat in there. But we understand that if you came for the John Ronson interview, you want to hear it all. So it's all going to be there. But if you want to hear it before it's posted on the Maura Murray channel, check it out on Crawl Space later this week, and we'll link to that as well. Also, big news, we are having a live show in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. It is going to be on August 18th, a Friday night at 10 p.m. at the Rockwell Theater in Davis Square, Somerville. 
and 10 p.m. We know it's a little late, but it's like it's perfect for our audience. It's perfect for what we're talking about. Our guests are awesome, and we will let you know who the guests are soon. Uh, and 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 Somerville and Davis Square, they're not just any neighborhood outside of Boston. They're they're right on the red line. If you're heading in, you take the red line to Davis Square, and it's probably the coolest little neighborhood outside of Boston. And we are not going to be talking about more Murray during that live show. So uh, that is one of the reasons it ha- really hasn't been promoted on this channel. It is mostly a crawl space show in coordination with Jordan Bonaparte from the Nighttime Podcast. So he's actually coming down from Canada for this show. So it's going to be us three and we have two very special guests um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So the conversations that we will be having will be extremely fascinating. You will be actually on the edge of your seat. Uh, I know I will be on the edge of my seat and very excited about the, uh, the people that we uh, have lined up for, uh, for you guys for this event. Check out the link to buy tickets in the show notes. Okay, so we hope you enjoy part one here on the Missing Maura Murray channel with John Ronson. Thank you very much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Maura Murray Doc and follow John Ronson on Twitter at John Ronson. Missing Maura Murray podcast. We are here today at Audio Boom Studios in New York City with best-selling author John Ronson. Hello. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Pretty great. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. I've, I've listened to all of your shows. For, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, for those unfortunate people who are not familiar with John Ronson, he is the author of The Psychopath Test, uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Uh, so you've been publicly shamed among uh, what do you have? Uh, a dozen publications? A bit less than a dozen. There's okay. A, but a few more than that. Um, also, most recently, I just co-wrote the film Oakja that just came out on Netflix. That was number six of my things to talk about. I saw <laughs> that trailer, and then I backed it up and watched it again, and then I watched it again. That movie looks incredible. It's so good. How, uh, how did you get involved with that? Bong Joon-ho, the director, mm-hmm. was a fan of a film that I wrote a few years ago called Frank, which was about a man who wears a big fake head that he never takes off, uh, starring Michael Fassbender. And Bong liked that film, and he wanted an English-speaking writer to write... Uh, with on on Oak Joe and chose me. I feel very privileged. Um, yeah, it became a bit of a big deal. The film and I, I was thinking. I'm really glad that I didn't know it, it was going to become a big deal because then I would have felt just too intimidated to right. to, to take the job. But right. I, I thought it would be a small deal, so I, I just wrote it in a kind of relaxed way, and then it became a big deal. It feels that way when you yeah. watch it. It feels like it, it. It flows. Like I said, I watched the trailer three mm-hmm. times in a row. Right, because you it just could feels good. at any point graduate to the full. Film. <laughs> uh, it's, it's whatever you Wait. want to do that. <laughs> you're saying, you're saying, yeah, there's some platform out there that I can watch this this full film. There really is. What it's Netflix? Can't oh, wait to check it out. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that on the uh, train ride home.
And I'll be, I feel like I'm going to cry though. Yeah. I feel like, it's, oh, a, I feel like yeah. it's a little bit of a tearjerker. No, it's devastating. People are posting videos of themselves uh, on Twitter sobbing uncontrollably at the mm. ending of the film. Which no way. I, and I'm just, I'm watching the videos and just feeling so happy to, to have com- contributed to the, to the production of tears. <laughs> any emotion is is a good thing i think yeah. i think yeah. so to break through the kind of deadening ennui of modern life <laughs> right yeah. yeah there's so much so many options for people to consume things today the one that actually makes people feel something is pretty remarkable it's really i mean i i listen when okja was just a man Holding some rubber in the early in in the early cuts of the film before yeah. they put the CGI in, it was still making me cry. Wow. And when it was a man holding rubber, uh, it's it's Bong has done such a beautiful job at, uh, at cutting through to people's hearts, and and it's a really, you know, people have have really taken the film to their hearts, and it's 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 a, it's such a good feeling yeah. to be involved in something that's that matters to people. I'm glad you brought that up. Because I, like, it was something that came up. Uh, we, were, you know, I was just looking into, you know, what are we mm-hmm. going to talk about, and then it, you have to kind of look for the fact that you co-wrote it. It's yeah. not, it doesn't just pop up in your resume. No, it, it's because it's, you know, it's really it's Bong's. It's you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of Bong's vision. Bong worked on the film for four or five years. I worked on the film for maybe five or six months. Mm-hmm. So it it feels like it would be disrespectful if I if I went on too much about my contribution because it's really Bong's mm-hmm. vision. Uh, I'm, but I'm just really proud to have sort of, you know, contributed to this thing. That's, that's, I just love it so much. What's it like to write, to go from novels, the kind of novels that you write, which you really immerse yourself in, in the subjects really impressively, really kind of mind-blowing, actually, from g- going from writing something like that to writing uh, a screenplay? Uh, it took me a long time, uh, mainly because everything I've done up until Frank and Okja has been nonfiction. Um, when, you know, nonfiction is basically feels kind of easy like whatever whatever's happening right in front of you is 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 your collaborator um the truth yeah yeah the truth whereas in fiction you have infinite possibilities and for a long time that really freaked me out but luckily on frank i hooked up with this amazing screenwriter called peter strawn who since got nominated for an oscar for uh tinker taylor soldier spy he's really like a kind of master and and he just like patiently over a number of years taught me how, how to write screenplays and and I'm at a place now I think where I, where it's where it comes almost as easily as journalism but it took me a long time you met the guy who wrote or he's like your like a mentor almost a yeah. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yeah which every time I've watched that movie at the end like the last like 15 minutes I'm like what I know it's I, such a dense movie. There's yeah. so much to it. Yeah, I, I emailed. I remember when I saw the film in the cinema. I, I emailed Peter right at the end, and I said, "I love the film. Uh, who's them all?" It, <laughs> it's one of the yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best. It's one of the best films, like mystery films, you can watch. Yeah, a couple times and not I'm, like still not fully grasp what it is, but it's there. The yeah. answer's there. It's just I just didn't get it the first like three times. Yeah, it's it's really it's dense. brilliant. Yeah. yeah. By the way, it's directed. I realize this is not Maura Murray related. Uh, it's directed by Thomas Alfredson, who directed probably my all-time favorite film, which is uh, Let the Right One In. So, oh, uh, yeah. The original. The original, the, yeah. 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 That is a phenomenal Great movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I was very lucky to have Peter patiently 
teaching me. Wow, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you have people patiently teaching you. Um, I just want to talk before we get into Mora. Um, you have a particular journalism style, and, and Tim hit upon it a little bit, where you fully immerse yourself in the story, and that's one thing that we are just blown away by every time we read about something you've done or read one of your works is that you start talking to everybody, and all of the pieces of your, I guess, investigation or your your expose, your your project, kind of you, you piece them all together with mm. with everything you've written. With the psychopath test, you meet one person, and that leads to something else, which leads to something else. It's very fitting for the Maura Murray case. Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, this is why I like what you two do so much. Yeah, um, it's it's taken over your your lives, and I think that's 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 that should be our ambition as as nonfiction people. Uh, when I wrote my first book, then I, I came to that conclusion. I thought. Um, if you're paying seven ninety nine for a paperback novel, you expect the protagonist to go through sort of life-changing experiences. If it's fiction, you want to read a novel about somebody whose life will never be the same again at the end of the experience. And I thought, you know, as a, most non-fiction writers don't have that ambition. They just want, to, they want it to be easy. They just want to sit behind their computers and write some polemic or something. Um, and I thought, no, I want, I want to have the ambition of a novel here. I want them, I want to go through a life-changing experience. And I think you two feel that way about your project. Right. right. Yeah. Not, not, not intending it in the beginning, but once it happens, you, you realize that you do make a difference, and that's kind of crazy to, to think about. And just so people know, Them is uh, your journey into extremist groups. Yeah, it's a book I, I discovered quite early on, it's sort of mid-1990s, that one thing that united different extremist groups from Islamic fundamentalists to um, right-wing militias was their belief in a secret room, that there was a shadowy cabal secretly rolling the wood from inside a secret room. And I, I, I suddenly thought one day, well, why don't I hook up with the conspiracy theorists and we'll try and bind the secret room and mm-hmm. get in. Um, and one of the conspiracy theorists I hooked up with was this fledgling Austin radio talk show host, uh, Alex Jones, who's now... Uh, yeah basically a hair's breath from the White House because Trump's like a massive fan of his, uh, which really... I remember, actually, I was I was at Waco with Alex Jones in about 1996 at David Koresh's church. They, they'd just rebuilt it. And this militia guy was introducing Alex. He was going to give a speech. And this militia guy said, Alex Jones, he's 26 years old, but one day he's going to be president of the United States. I remember thinking, you know, some really bad shit would have to happen <laughs> for that. The chain of events yeah. to lead to him and to be you president. Know what? And it's like... It happened. <laughs> He's that close. He's got White House credentials, apparently, yeah. and oh. Trump's appeared on his show. And Steve um, Bannon's at that level, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Things, things got bad. Man. So you're a gonzo journalist. Do you like I, that term? Well, I don't know. I mean, I always think gonzo journalist is so, you know, resonant of one particular person, Hunter S. Tim Thompson. Tim Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hunter Thompson. And his thing was like getting stoned, you yeah. know, taking LSD and going to like a police convention on, on LSD. So <laughs> that's that's kind of what I associate gonzo journalism with is like substance abuse, which I don't do. So I, so I always think it's not, it doesn't totally reflect me. But the idea of a journalist like immersing themselves completely into a story is is something that I definitely learned from Huntress Thompson and PJ O'Rourke and 
Tom Wolfe and you know and um, various other writers in, at that time and uh, and yeah, nat- it naturally worked for me. It, it feels like more like a method journalism as opposed to gonzo journalism. Yeah, method journalism. I mean, it was the other term for it. I suppose was the new journalism, which was the term that. Um, Tom Wolfe coined back in the 60s. I like method better. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks anyway, Tom Wolfe. <laughs> but like, you know, but totally getting obsessed with a story, yeah. losing yourself in the maze of it. Yeah. Um, and then coming out. And then coming out, yeah, with yeah. something coherent at the end. Right. Um, what I love about Warren Murray is that um, you do that. You, and you make mistakes and you put your mistakes up there. And at first... Uh, I should tell you that I started, so so um, I go for these really long walks, like these sort of 12-mile walks a couple of times a week. So I always want to look for things to listen to. So that's how I stumbled on Missing Moore Mary. I think I was on Reddit and somebody was like, if you enjoyed Serial, what should you listen to? And a few people said, oh, you should listen to Missing Moore Mary. That's cool. Yeah, so that's that's how I stumbled on it. And and I was totally hooked. I mean, episode one is, you just think, this is the most incredible mystery like as James Renner says, you know, it's a mystery inside a mystery. Yeah. Uh, but and then by episode three or four, I was like completely gripped. But also thinking, guys, <laughs> like, like what you, are you doing? You're getting in deep, guys. <laughs> you're getting in deep, and also you are making rookie mistakes. But yeah. but I was like really, you know, so I was like hooked and loving it. But also, and, and also loving the fact that you were making rookie mistakes, but also feeling a little exasperated by it. But then I just thought, this is this is amazing, and you just couldn't stop listening. And 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 yeah, and so I really admire the, the fact that you will keep, you know, you'll keep these errors up there, but then correct them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of episodes that I listen to, and it's just cringeworthy, like hearing some of the things that I said back back. Oh. And, and, and I can't listen to any of it. Yeah, and, and I yeah, feel like we're talking all. about something that happened in like 10 years ago. It's it's two years two ago, years ago almost, a year yeah. and a half ago, I'll listen to something. I'm like, oh, I'm such a different person now. But it's so like we, a new it's, – it's like whether, – whether you intended it or not, it's like you're inventing a new type of journalism. Um, for, you know, you're – it's so unvarnished, particularly the early episodes. But I mean the whole thing, really. Yeah. It's so unvarnished. Um, you're, you're wearing your hearts on your sleeve. You're making these mistakes, um, but you don't correct them till sometimes till several episodes mm-hmm. later. Uh, and thank God you do correct them because I mean some of the early mistakes are bad. But I'm so glad that you that you that you kept it up there because I, I really I think you're I think you're creating a new type of journalism. I, I, I think you. Mo- I mean I listen to a lot of other true crime podcasts, um, and I think there's a there's a kind of integrity and honesty to the way you do it that that a lot of the others don't do and and I think what you do is kind of my favorite of this sort of new genre of of kind of you know I hope it's not offensive when I say you know it's it's, it's slightly amateur sure it was 100% you just said that we're probably inventing a new type of journalism so anything other than that I haven't heard <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually texting my day job now and I just quit so <laughs> file that as my resignation right. <laughs> it's partly because you two are so um kind of likable um whereas some of your some of some of the other presenters are a bit more kind of broy and self-involved. 
But you're not. You two are kind of come over as sort of like adorable, and that's <laughs> that's part of the reason why why it's such a you know lovely listen. Well, thank you. Yeah, we we've been friends for a long time, so I, we have a natural rapport. I think um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that that's part of it or what, but uh, yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I discussed it like like I would DM. I've got a friend called Oliver Berkman who's a journalist for the Guardian, and and he got obsessed with Missy Morimori at the same time, and we would like DM each other, and, and he'd say exactly the same thing. He'd say like like I'm tearing my hair out, like especially the one of the episodes was the one with the 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 bed at the uh, at the hotel oh, at the hotel. The motel. Yeah. yeah, like and there was this long discussion of like how could Fred. Murray not have known right. when Maura, you know, got, got into bed with him. Like, of course, he would wake up. And Oliver Berkman um, sort of DM'd me to say, have they not thought that it could be a twin room? And, yeah. then, and then, like, the next episode, you're like, oh, maybe it was a twin room. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, we, we do wear our hearts, honestly. We, we do feel like we have an obligation to the truth, I think. It's it's. The only thing we know, actually, I, I would say, uh, in this, you know, it's it's how we see this experience for us, you know, that's because that's all we can speak to. But yeah, yeah. the documentary that, that we're working on is is that too. Is you know, we're, we're plenty of mistakes, yeah. <laughs> plenty of mistakes in that, and we, um, you know, really, I think, regret some of the things that we said in in that documentary. But the fact is, you don't edit it out. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big I'm a fan of that. Like yeah. like I do that in my books too. Like yeah. if I go off on a on a wild goose chase or I get, you know, in the psychopath test, I become like, um, I become like consumed with my psychopath spotting powers, like way more than I ought to. And I, I, I put that in the book, you know, I, yeah. I get drunk, I get drunk with power <laughs> um, and spotting psychopaths everywhere. And and then I see the error of my ways like later on in the book, and it becomes a cautionary tale about not doing that. And, and I think that's, you know, I think part of the reason why I, I love Missy Moore and Mary so much is because I think naturally you, you guys are doing the same thing. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you mentioned The Psychopath Test. That is the most entertaining book I've ever read. It is my favorite book. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, and, and when James Renner, I, I had a bit of a shock when uh, James Renner just declared Mara Murray, a, a psychopath, on mm. about like episode five, I yeah. think, or six. Yep. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, I just want to say if anyone hasn't read The Psychopath Test, if you're thinking about it, you should definitely do it, buy a copy, but you should definitely do it on Audible uh, because you read it on Audible. Yes. And, and there, there's, um, there's nuances and, and inflections that you just won't get if you're reading it. And it... it uh, it's uh, riveting. Yeah, I, I really do try. When I record my audio books, I really do try to just sort of gently and subtly kind of imbue. Mm-hmm. Because my, my, you know, because I, I underwrite um, and I try and allow the kind of meanings and the nuances to sort of drift in from, you know, the spaces between the sentences. So when I'm recording the audio books, I really do try and sort of just gently tease like what I was thinking. So if I found something funny, but I was pretending not to, I try and put that in my voice. There's yep. a moment in the audiobook of So You've Been Publicly Shown. I don't know, I've never mentioned this, and I don't know if anybody noticed it, but there's a, there's a, there's a line in So You've Been Publicly Shamed where actually when I'm recording the audiobook, I briefly burst into tears. And, and I'm not sure if anybody, nobody's ever said that to me, but, but I, 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 I don't want to say where it is, but, <laughs> okay. but it's there somewhere in the audiobook. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. to listen to that.
So let's talk a little bit about um, Mora, about sure. her, her case. And you've been to the you, you've been to the to the accident site, and yes. you've been to New Hampshire. Okay. Yes. What was your impression when you when you went up to that area? Your impression of the area? Your impression of the crash site? And the the surrounding the the neighbors the houses right. Well, my main impression was that I, but I agreed with James Renner. Um, I mean, I, I was there. I'm quite a credulous person. I tend to agree with whoever's um, telling me something. So that's probably part of the reason. <laughs> but I did agree with James Renner when when I was there. You know, I obviously I always thought like by far the most credible explanation is that she got out of the car, went into the woods and and died somehow. But James Renner was saying, when you get to the crash site, you'll see that that's not credible. And sure enough, it it doesn't seem credible when you go to the crash site. Uh, Because there's houses everywhere. It's like I'd stood at the crash site and counted, you know, four or five houses or something. Um, And it's it looks from photographs like you're in the middle of nowhere, but you're not. And that's the that's the uh, that's the perception. Mm. We forget that we have people all over the place listening to this, and we say it's in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and it's you know remote and desolate mm. and cold, and they get this white cold image in their head. Mm. And but it's, if if she anywhere else on that road on Route 112. There's probably a dozen places that that she could have had that accident that had no houses. Yes, this was probably the most populated. It just happened to be a hairpin turn right there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Do you still agree with James Renner? Well, in what part too? What part yeah. do you, do you mean you um, agree with him about? Yeah, about her not about her not dying in the woods. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, probably. Um, so that leaves what two, two possibilities, doesn't yep. it? One, one, two reasonable possibilities. Yeah, one is that some, you know, by by terrible coincidence, some serial killer. Ah, oh, is this the third? Well, no, no, that's that's something that becomes a misconception out there. Something that that I think we've taught ourselves along the way mm. is everyone says that it's some opportunistic serial killer. Mm. It doesn't have to be a serial killer. It could be some opportunistic. Mentally disabled person, or yeah. ment- I'm, I'm sorry, not mentally disabled. Mm. Uh, yes, shoot, we could probably edit that. Psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it 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 could be a um, yeah. I don't want yeah, to say just, psychopath either. Yeah, it could just be somebody who's always wanted to abduct an opportunistic but, yeah. moment for a potentially violent person. Yeah, which it could be. Like I remember, I remember. Um, one time on your show, somebody was like, well, you know, it can't be that because, you know, what's the chances? Uh, and the fact is, yeah, what's the chances? They're very, very slim. But most people who crash their car don't go missing. For 13 years. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we actually looked into what the actual chances are. And without getting too detailed into, I don't want to totally make that area seem more dangerous than it is. But when you look into it, I don't think people really understand that you're if you look at the odds of like you can do a you can do a search of people who are yeah. sexual offenders and and then you do a search of the area and then all of a sudden your odds of like oh it's one in a million it's like 
I'm kind of looking at the people around there, and it, it's now not one in a million. It's now like one in 12. Yeah. You and know? you know what? Uh, you know, it's winning the lottery in Great Britain. I always remember the statistic is one in 14 million. It's like 14 million to one that you'll win the lottery. But people win the lottery every, every week. Yeah. Right. So there you go. That one in 14 million thing happens every week. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're, yeah. you, you, you went to the um, crash site with James mm-hmm. and he pointed out, did you stop there? Did you walk around? Yeah, we stopped and walked around, went in the night and then went back again the next morning. And um, Was it in the winter? Yes. Okay. So there was yeah, some snow? I think there was snow. Um, I think there was snow. Okay. There's a big bow around the tree. Yeah. Yep. I guess that's always there. Yeah, they replace it every year. Yeah. Sometimes it, it goes away. Did you walk down Old Peter's Road, which is that road right next to the weathered barn? Um, no, I don't think I did. I think it was incredibly cold. It was like so cold that we were worried about being out too long. Yeah, yeah. it gets nasty up there. Yeah. yeah. Next time you're in the, if you want to go back there, we let us know. We'll go down mm-hmm. Old Peter's Road and we can show you this house that's down there. Uh-huh. It's so strange because we've been talking about this house for a while and no one really has... I would think that more people will go to this house. It's this dilapidated house that it, when when we went into it for the first time a couple of years ago, it looks like people ate dinner, put their dishes in the sink and said, okay, let's go, guys. And they just left. Mm. And everything, the ceiling's caving in on it. Wow. Um, yeah, it's like squatters will probably stay there. But um, you think about the area, like what kind of squatters would stay there? Next time you're in the area. Yeah, I'll go and have a look. Yeah. We spent the night at that motel just around the corner. Um, do you know the motel I mean? It's in the town. Yeah, the, the uh, Nutka Lodge. Nutka Lodge or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was nice. Yeah. If anybody wants to go on a pilgrimage, can I <laughs> yeah. suggest that that's a nice... Was it Was it one full bed or two twin beds? Um, it was... I had two twin beds all to myself. Okay. So I got up, set the alarm for 3 a.m. and moved to the other bed, as I always do. As, as yeah. That, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't really. <laughs> I just want you to know that I don't really do uh, that. You said it. I was like, wow, <laughs> someone else in the world does that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the crash site, especially at night, was it spooky to you? Did you find it eerie or anything like that? Yes. And James was, um, you know, was a very good storyteller, very good kind of campfire horror story yeah. storyteller as we were driving over there. Uh, so, yes. I very much enjoyed James's uh, mm-hmm. fiction stories. The right. Man from Primrose Lane is an excellent story. Mm-hmm. Um Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, James told me that he was a psychopath, but I'm not. I mean, he might be, but I don't know. Do you think he is? I don't, I don't think so. I guess I'm the one who wrote the psychopath test. I should yeah. know. Um, I don't know. Do you think it, it could be the kind of thing where since he called Mora a sociopath or a psychopath yeah. that he's kind of trying to lessen that blow by calling himself that? Do you think he feels guilty about it? I think so. Well, in that case, he's probably not a psychopath because they don't feel guilty about things. Right. right. He did say in one of our last episodes that that was the worst thing he ever did uh, uh, investigating this case. Right. Was call Mora Maria. Or he, he said suggest Mora Maria was a sociopath. Right. I, I, I would add one other negative thing to, to one other thing that James did that's really bad um i should say i'm i'm i really like james's writing i've read his book and and i'm fond of him and i think he's a really good writer and like me and like you two you know he he dives headlong into stories and i always really admire people who do that i admire people who get kind of obsessed Mm -hmm. um but the other thing that james did where, where i sort of slapped my forehead when i heard it was basically implying that uh that fred murray 
not wanting to give him an interview was evidence that Fred Murray was somehow complicit in Maura's disappearance, which I thought was like, like, oh my God. There's a good chance that Fred Murray didn't want to give you an interview because you're an amateur podcaster and he's a grieving father. Right. That's a more plausible reason. Yeah. Right. And that leads to another point that uh, we wanted to talk about, which is... Um, there's a line that law enforcement, so with this genre that we do, and and it being kind of journalism and also entertainment and uh, law enforcement, I think there's a misconception. I know there's a misconception that people this crowdsourcing of um, of evidence. Mm. I think there's a big misconception that people think that law enforcement owes the crowdsourcing public. You know, Fred Murray gives a, uh, a mm. rusty or bloody stained knife to law enforcement and everyone thinks that it's it's law enforcement's bad police work by not telling the public right. whether or not it had something to do with the case. They don't owe us anything. And mm-hmm. we've said this before, too. The family doesn't owe us anything mm. and they can behave however they want. Yeah. Yes. Um However, to play devil's advocate, um, Payne Lindsay, up and vanished. It seems that he that his podcast really was the reason why uh, why the, the the case has now moved forward. You, you know about this, right? Yeah, yeah. Why, why why do you think it was the reason? Yeah. Well, okay. I only I I, I don't have full knowledge here so i might be saying something that's not true but i I believe like isn't the prevailing view that that him making the podcast every week was basically what shook you know the town into starting to talk and then you know a a young guy said something to his girlfriend and the girlfriend talked to the police and and there's no there's no evidence that there's definitely a link between the two things but you know, they, there's certainly circumstantial evidence. That, yeah. that sure. And I would I would agree that, you know, the more you talk about something in the platform that you have, as long as it's reaching a lot of ears and eyes. Yeah. And, and if someone feels guilty about a crime like that, they'll you know, there's there's definitely pressure that you can put on people to do that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, perhaps law enforcement looks at that person and starts looking into it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a powerful platform that we have. Yeah. And, Yes. But again, they, they you can't predict it because legally law enforcement doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. No, exactly. Law enforcement doesn't owe, you know, Reddit or, right. you know, anything, or, yeah. or, you know, but it can. But it can help. It can help. Yeah. 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 Um, yep. But I think probably and, it, and it's good when it helps, but more often than not, it probably doesn't help. Do you think that it's un, that it's unsolvable? Murray, Murray. Two years ago, I would have said that this was, I, I, I think two years ago, 90% of me would have said that this was unsolvable. And now I am probably a 90%. On that it's the, solvable. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's definitely sol- solvable, but it's probably going to take a tip. And I think this TV show is, is well, it's going to change mm. everything for us and it's going to change everything for the community. Yes. Um, this new TV show. So I do think it is part of something that could help shake the apple tree if, yeah. if they don't solve it on the TV show. Yes. I, my feeling is that they're not going to solve it on the TV show because when when we saw the trailer, you know, if they had something as good as that, they'd be 
there would have been some indication in the trailer. Right. Yeah. If if something bad happened to her, if there's somebody, like we said, an opportunistic person who um, she you know met with foul play, they can – if they're the only person that knows about it, if only them and Mora mm. knew and, and knows about what happened, they can easily keep their mouth shut for the rest of their lives. But yeah. that's something that they'll – you know, that's on them. They'll live with that if, yeah. they, if, they, if they do. But you can guarantee if – this was someone who was just opportunistic and has any sort of any sort of regret or any sort of deep down remorse or conscience about it mm. doesn't take much to doesn't take much to come out and raise your hand and and say mm, i fucked up yeah mm, you know and i need help yeah yeah so is this what you're veering towards is this is this is what happened somebody stopped the car um, I think when you're there, I think it's pretty – and I, I would imagine you kind of felt this way too, that um, it seems like she probably got into a car. Mm-hmm. I mean she did, we just said you know, she likely didn't go into the woods. Almost no way she went to the woods right there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no track of her. No no one in the area knows that yeah. she was there. She's not, and you're just in someone's garden within like 20, 20 footsteps. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it does seem like she got into a car willingly. I would say too, because there were no no reports of screams, um, no signs of struggle, seemingly that we know of out there. Right. You have Faith mm-hmm. Westman who's looking out her window, yeah. and she reports in detail certain things: flurry of activity at the trunk. Um, there's, I mean, it was probably incorrect, but she, you know, she she at least interpreted that there was someone in the car smoking a cigarette. That's probably incorrect, but mm-hmm. her mind is still cataloging details. Mm-hmm. If there was somebody who pulled up who was forcing her into the vehicle, I'm pretty sure Faith Westman would say somebody is now pulling this young lady into the vehicle. Yeah. Um, if if you, we try to stay away from, as you know, we try to stay away from our own theories and and want to push our own theories. We also think they don't really matter, and, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, yeah. ultimately they don't. But when you're when I'm weighing all of the options, some of them feel right and some of them don't. Some mm-hmm. of them feel forced and some of them feel natural. Getting into a car with somebody that she knew is the one that seems like the most. Or somebody that she trusted. Yeah. And there's a lot of scenarios that you can come up with with that. Somebody comes mm-hmm. up and says, hey, I'm this person with this, and I can help you. And fill in the blanks on your own. I don't want to put any thoughts out there. But there are many scenarios where someone can come up and a UPS driver. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, it could be somebody. I'm not focusing on police officers or a tow truck driver, or any... You said officer. I did. Police conspiracy. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. Or friends. Or friends. Yeah. Yep. Or friends. Yep. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it, it's it's funny, though, in all the digging we've done. Like, we haven't found a link to other friends or, or even any real connection that she has to that area of, like, people around there, you know? Right. So but- I, I do think it's totally possible that she got into the car with someone she didn't know, mm. um, because... after the accident with the Toyota that she had in Hadley, she flagged down someone because she didn't have her phone. Sarah Alferi had her phone, and that was why she used Fred's phone that night to call Billy. Um, But she flagged down someone, a passerby, and asked them to call the police. Um, So maybe maybe she took that chance again uh, the next night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, And Fred Murray Jr. also described Mora as not being street smart. Which to me could say, you know, one one decision of getting in this car happens, you know, happens to be with the wrong person, and and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And you, you the, everything that is reported on with what happened at the scene of the accident, if you take that for what it is, like a fact, 
then it kind of makes sense. The one one neighbor saying that they saw taillights and one neighbor saying that there's a flurry of activity and everyone's wondering about the rag and the tailpipe and Fred Murray saying, I told her to put it in there. It could have, you know, there's he very well could have said that. And then maybe she thought she needed to get, for whatever reason, if I put the rag in the tailpipe, my car won't, you know, pop or sputter and I can get a little more power to get out of this this ravine, this little ditch that I'm in. So she puts it in reverse. And that's when the Marats see the, the taillights come on. And she realizes she can't get out of there. So now she wants to go find cell, cell phone service for her phone because she did tell Butch that she called AAA. And maybe Butch misheard and mis- or misremembered and said, and maybe she said, I'm going to call AAA or AAA and just held up her phone, you know, and then she walks towards Butch's house. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You just kind of take it like, oh, well, I mean, nothing, not everything has to be a lie. Yeah. Not, you know, not everything. If she did this, this, this and this, and she did leave because of a family emergency. We just don't want that was. We know that she had a phone call with her sister and she said my sister and it made her upset. And then she told her professors that she, it was a family emergency. So all of these things do yeah. line up. Also, I'm sure I've used the family emergency <clears throat> line. Oh, all <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doing something I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> he's going to look at his phone now and be like, yeah. oh, I have a family yeah. emergency. <laughs> got to go. Right. Um, I'm delivering this article <laughs> late. So. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.